For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Sinai Farrell. You're listening to Daybreak. YouTube videos of college acceptances get millions of views, QuestBridge posts get thousands of likes, and college access organizations promise thousands of high school students across the country the opportunity to get an Ivy League degree. A mere acceptance into one of the nation's top universities is lauded as a life-altering achievement. This achievement is made all the more important for first-gen and low-income students, whose admission into a prestigious university can seem like a golden ticket to a more prosperous future. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Ficker Bayetta. Publicly, the story tends to stop there, a spineling student in a college sweatshirt and a happily ever after. But out of social media's view, the hardships and the disadvantages faced by low-income students aren't just magically erased when they secure a slot at a prestigious institution. Low-income students can face a cultural shock and sharp increase in academic rigor upon arriving at university, leaving them feeling out of their depth. The cultural disconnect between their new environment and the community back home can create guilt, discomfort, and shame. Up until very recently, there was no terminology to describe students that experienced this phenomenon. But in 2016, two terms emerged, the privileged poor and the doubly disadvantaged. The term privileged poor comes from the work of the sociologist Anthony Jack. This is Professor Sue Young Kim, an anthropologist who teaches a writing seminar focused on equity in education. The, the point he's trying to make with that term is he talks in both the article and the book about how scholars of education, but also institutions of higher education especially, have tended to kind of view low-income students as a monolithic group, like not differentiating among them. So he introduces a term, the privileged poor, and a second term, doubly disadvantaged, to point out the fact that actually there's this divide between two types of low-income students. One, the privileged poor are students who come from low-income backgrounds, but have had the opportunity to develop cultural and social capital, primarily by attending private schools or prep schools by various means. You know, maybe they got a scholarship and were able to attend a school, or they participate in some kind of program that allowed them to attend a school that would be attended mostly by higher income students. And then the doubly disadvantaged are low-income students who come from low-income backgrounds and attend under-resourced public schools. So what is it like to be a privileged, poor, or a doubly disadvantaged student at Princeton? Leah Walker, class of 22, was involved with the Scholars Institute Fellows Program, also known as CIFP, during her time at Princeton. CIFP provides first-gen and low-income students, or FLY students, with additional resources, community building groups, and academic support. We spoke with Leah about how she navigated her identity on campus. I'm not going to lie. There is a polarization of demographics where you have students who cannot afford Princeton at all and students whose families very, very much can afford Princeton. And I think that can lead to uncomfortable conversations. I've definitely been in classrooms where discussing being fly or discussing low income, I could see physical, like people physically tense up because it was just very uncomfortable for them to talk about low income. And that way it did make me feel like I had to not deny my fly identity, but definitely not go around being as candid about it or being as candid and saying things like, oh, I can't afford that. Leah also spoke about some of the hesitations she had about taking part in social traditions and institutions on campus. I did probably stay away from the eating clubs a lot more because I knew that there would be certain spaces that weren't hospitable to conversations about 
being low income. So in that way, it did. I do think that it may have limited where exactly I showed up on campus. Just the sort of tense feelings that can happen from having a conversation about being fly or, or low income. Other students vocalized the barriers to entry that they faced to joining academic, interest-based, and arts organizations. Anya Anad, class of 27, a current Princeton University Orchestra member, spoke about some of her hesitations about trying out for the group. I think another obstacle is I was just really worried. I like didn't have the training to the level Princeton expected. I interacted with a lot before coming onto campus. So I think a couple other people in the orchestra, other freshmen who wanted to also audition, they came from Juilliard Pre-College, which is a pre-collegiate institute with Juilliard faculty or associate faculty, which is like intense training. And I talked to a couple people who've been doing it since they were in sixth grade, you know, like just training with the state-of-the-art faculty. I talked to a lot of people who did the National Youth Orchestra or NYO2 programs, which I never had that opportunity to audition for. And so just coming into a institution that I felt a lot of people I not competing against, but was also auditioning alongside, I felt like their capabilities were a lot stronger than what I was at coming from, just like a Virginia public high school. <laughs> one of the reasons that I decided to stop playing piano, one, because I also just like didn't like it that much anymore, <laughs> but also like a reason is I felt I was wasting my parents' money because besides just going to school, like my parents both work. So taking me... And on top of that, trying to like figure out rides for like school and stuff. If like we weren't able to take the bus, if I did extracurricular activities after school, or like I used to run track, and then on top of that, having to then like drive like forty five minutes away to my rehearsal, and then drive another forty five minutes another day to my oboe lessons, and on the weekends I would do like competitions and all this stuff. So it was not only I think an investment of their money, like financially, but also definitely investment of time, which is hard, especially since like I said before, both my parents were working. In the class of 2026, 30.8% of students belong to the bottom 60% of U.S. households by income. In comparison, around two decades ago, the class of 2002, just 12% of students came from the same background. Princeton has been making a concerted effort to admit low-income students in recent years. For instance, their partnership with QuestBridge, a nonprofit organization that connects first-generation and low-income students with partner institutions, has helped the university's goals to promote socioeconomic diversity. However, what is Princeton doing to support students from these backgrounds, especially as admissions of low-income students has increased on campus in recent years? One of the key resources available on campus for marginalized students is the Emma Bloomberg Center for Access and Opportunity. Established in 2021, the Emma Bloomberg Center supports students from first-generation, low-income, and disadvantaged backgrounds to succeed at Princeton. The Emma Bloomberg Center is responsible for many programs, including the Freshman Scholars Institute, which is a summer program for first-year students that provides an ease-in period to Princeton and additional course credits, as well as CIFP. Daybreak spoke with director of the Emma Bloomberg Center, Dean Cristina Gonzalez, to learn more about its importance on campus. The Emma Bloomberg Center for Access and Opportunity pulls together a lot of different programs that Princeton has to support students, both Princeton students, but also students from other communities as they consider higher education and apply to selective and highly selective schools. And then as they move through and navigate those spaces, and then also we're thinking about what their transition to postgraduate opportunities look like. And so our kind of motto, right, is supporting students to, through, and beyond higher education. 
the relationships that students develop in those spaces are really strong and they're also super meaningful, right? And so we know, you know, that our students in these programs are supporting each other, not just socially, but also academically, right? They're taking some of the same classes, they're serving in study groups together, um, you know, and then they're going on and having these kinds of professional relationships as well. And those are, some of those people are going to be future colleagues, right? And they're going to connect out in the world, right? And that's going to be a really amazing legacy of these programs. The Emma Bloomberg Center provides students with a shared community at Princeton. Despite Princeton's generous financial aid program, students encounter additional economic challenges on campus. Programs from the Emma Bloomberg Center, such as CIFP, offer funding for professional and academic opportunities, while creating visibility for students from disadvantaged backgrounds and fostering social integration. One of the great things about the Emma Bloomberg Center's existence on campus and programs like CIFP is that the visibility has become very high, right? So, you know, you see folks wearing CIFP sweatshirts and you can see, you know, we have Fly is Fly Week and we have, you know, Banner Day. And all of that is really important because it's really important to know that there is representation on campus of people who come from similar backgrounds for you. And not knowing that, I think, um, can feel isolating sometimes for students. The importance of this increased community and visibility was echoed by both students and academics. Abraham Cruz, class of 2021, another CIFP alumnus, spoke to the importance of community to students that may suddenly find themselves in situations completely different from their home environments. I think the biggest thing CIFP is doing for students is just connecting other students that have similar backgrounds together. My first introduction to CIFP was like, hey, you should join a group. And yeah. I have my fellow, my fellow bought us food. That was where a lot of us that looked similarly or came from similar backgrounds, not look similarly, but more like same socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds came together and we just had an, an open opportunity to just chat and discuss some struggles like, hey, how's your week going? It might have been small in the moment, but I think in the long term, it might have felt like, oh, we're, this is a sense of community that I can rely on and trust on and I'm not really alone. Leah also shared how FSI created a space of belonging on campus. FSI was the first major experience for me that made me feel like I belonged at Princeton because students in FSI really get a chance to say that Princeton is theirs before other students come on campus and also claim the space, which is important for everybody to claim Princeton and own that. But I think it's really important that students from marginalized backgrounds get to really be in the space and enjoy learning what it means to be a Princetonian before other people may prescribe what that means to them. Even outside of CIFP, the increasing visibility of FLY students at the university makes it so peers are prepared to support each other, according to Professor Kip. I honestly think a lot of the kind of transformation over the last couple of decades is maybe even more like student-led in terms of more awareness among students themselves about not making assumptions about backgrounds or experiences of your classmates. I think that's very different than for instance, when I was an undergraduate about 20 years ago. So I think I have to give a lot of credit to the students themselves and just in terms of creating a more inclusive atmosphere by not making assumptions about your classmates and also wanting to be in a college environment where you're surrounded by people of different backgrounds and wanting to be curious about those different backgrounds and different experiences. Many of the social and extracurricular barriers mentioned earlier are in student-led processes such as club tryouts. Thus, increased visibility and social integration could help reduce the stigma and challenges faced by first-gen, low-income students. 
Eating clubs on campus today regularly hold FLI information sessions, and the Prince itself offers stipends to FLI students contributing their time to the organization. All of these different elements of support are beginning to level the playing field for low-income students, but some people, like Professor Kim, encourage institutions like Princeton to go even further. Places like Princeton have come so far, and in many ways that's great, but now is not the time to pat ourselves on the back, I think. Now is when we really need to question, what does it mean to be inclusive to a group of students who pose in many ways a huge threat to what this institution has historically been about and been for? And I think that's that's another question that anyone doing this kind of work is grappling with. I think there's a recognition that the goals of inclusion shouldn't mean like, oh, we are going to help. We are going to mold these historically underrepresented students to fit the existing Princeton mold. I think everyone can agree that like, that's not what the point is. Inclusion isn't just about including so-called outsiders into the status quo, but what the alternative is, I think is a lot more difficult to agree upon and even more difficult to execute in practice. I mean, what would it mean to actually change not just who these students are, but actually change what the institution of Princeton is. I think that's a lot harder to grapple with. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Figur Bayene, Sinai Farrell, and Twyla Coburn. Sound engineered by Daniel Jung and produced under the 148th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, Class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Sinai Farrell. Have a wonderful day.